We've got off the train in Bradford-on-Avon in Wiltshire and we've walked a little way away from the station to where we can just see the river running through a beautiful stone bridge. And let me tell you, it's hot, hot, hot today. It's a hot day in June, slightly humid, but you can also see that quintessential yellow stone that comes so much from this part of the world. So there's a river here, but there's also a man-made canal and that's why we've come here to talk to today's Folk on Foot guest. We're here to meet the award-winning singer and multi-instrumentalist Nancy Kerr. She was born into a folk family and has often toured as one half of a duo with her husband, James Fagan. Most recently, she's released critically acclaimed solo albums, making her mark as a powerful and poetic songwriter. Nancy, good morning. Hi there. Great to see you. You're laden down with instruments. You've got the guitar and the violin. Guitar and fiddle today. Are you happy to carry them on the wall? No problem. Oh, you're stronger than I am, I have to say. We'll see. We'll see. We're meeting you in the beautiful surroundings of this Cotswold stone. What is this building? So this is a 14th century tithe barn um, at Bradford-on-Avon um, and it's part of this little country park that sort of is surrounded by, on one side, as you'll see in a minute, is the, the kind of beginning of the lip of the canal, of the Kennet and Avon Canal, runs right past this tithe barn. And then just the other side of us is the Avon River, so we're between those two waterways. And it's just a, a glorious place, a lovely green stretch and, as you say, beautiful historic building. But, yeah, we've spent quite a lot of time passing through this area because we've been itinerant really um, living on the canal um, but definitely uh, have a, a strong attachment to to this area and to this stretch it's beautiful well let's walk around to the canal then shall we So the river's just there on our right, the Avon, and then there's a, a little green spot and we're just going to pop out onto the towpath of the canal. And we actually, we used to play cricket here, actually. We used to play little mixed sort of games of folky cricket, I remember. With, I think John Bowden and John Spires were there at one point. What, so various folk musicians came and I played think we cricket? All, yeah, we yeah. all kind of bonded and <laughs> not too competitive cricket playing. And the Kennet and Avon Canal does what it says on the tin, doesn't it? It joins yeah. the River Kennet to the River Avon. Yeah, that's right. And... It's got a lovely sort of human natural history as well because it was, what would you say, it was you know, unusable for a long time and then mostly volunteers dug it out and sort of made it um, a passable waterway again, so, which was quite recent, that was the 80s I think. Because it went out of uh, use as a, a yeah. mode of transport as after the railways. Well, came, that's didn't right, it? and many of them fell into massive disrepair. So here we are, popping out onto the onto the bank, and there are some wonderful narrowboats here, aren't there? Yep. Some beautiful painting. Yep. Quite a queue of boats along yep. the towpath. Yep. So did you used to moor here? We did. Yeah. And some ducks. Yep. Swimming past. Else. 
Which way are we going to walk? I think we should head towards Avoncliff, so we're going west, more or less. Okay, let's go on the towpath. So what kind of a boat did you have when you lived on the canals? I lived on the canals for nearly 12 years and during that time I had three consecutive boats. Um, they were all narrow boats. The proper traditional boat that you would Well, the first one we had was actually really quite traditional. Not that it was a historic boat and had been used in industry or anything, um, but it was built along those lines. It had a, a wooden cabin, but a metal hull, um, but a really great, great hull. It was a superb boat there. And then we got, later on, a boat that was all steel, so the whole thing was steel-made, and that gave us a little bit more protection from the outside from the world. Was from it really the cold in the winter? No. I know that sounds crazy. Obviously, you know, it's difficult in winter because there's lots you have to do, but once you get your fire going, once you have your solid fuel stove or whatever going, it's really cosy, you know, it can actually really be lovely. So, I mean, I did eventually move off boats in 2010 during the big freeze when I had a newborn baby and I thought oh, my time <laughs> might be done. That's a bit of a challenge isn't it? Yeah people <laughs> do do it but So uh, it what took me. you onto the canal in the first place? What drew you to the canal? I had a friend called Kate Fletcher who's a lovely singer and songwriter and she and her sort of community and family many of them lived on boats and I think it's that thing if you see someone doing that if you get to see it at close quarters you feel like you might be able to do it. Actually, that's the same as music for me. Isn't that a lovely bird song? Yeah, isn't that gorgeous? You know, you watch people play, you watch your family play music and you realise that that's what you could do. And it was the same with boating. And I just thought it was a... It was a, a fitting life because I liked the... I liked having somewhere to be that was mine, but I liked changing the, the sort of environment that I was in. So how often did you move? Well, it depended. You're supposed to move unless you have a place that you can moor. You're supposed to move regularly. So we would have what was called a continuous cruising license, which meant we did a lot of travel. We saw a lot of the inland waterways of England. You know, we went all over. Did you go on tour on the boat then? We never quite did that. I mean, we were musicians on the boat and occasionally it lines up, but really a maximum of four knots. I'm not really going to be able to get... From gig to gig. Yeah, exactly. The M1, I have to say, I, I, you know, it works better. So. What was the best part of it? The best part of it was that feeling of always being at home, but being travelling as well. So, and, and the kind of secrecy of it, actually. So we would always, if people came to visit us, we'd always you know, show them how we lived and show them the canal. And we felt like it was a secret part of England and a part that had a different a different flavour and a different pace. And it's very calming, actually, as we're walking here alongside the canal because there isn't a ripple on the surface of the water. It's really still today, isn't it? Yeah, and it, it just feels very calming to watch water slowly eddying past. It really is. I used to love the morning reflections of the sun if my if the hatch was open on the boat and the um, water was being you know was reflecting light onto the ceiling of the boat which of course is not very far from you <laughs> at any time <laughs> yeah I used to really love that and this um, one here has got amazing 
plants growing on the yeah. roof. It's a, like somebody's created a garden on well, the roof I, of the boat. The, one of the things about moving off the boat was that I was so happy to get a garden. <laughs> That's the thing. <laughs> That's what I always craved. I loved the life. I missed... Well, I'd never had, never had a garden, so... And what did you want a garden for? To grow food and herbs and, yeah, and space and a bit a productive of, garden. Yeah, and, I mean, I have got, I've got a fabulous garden. We don't grow loads of food, but we grow a bit and create a bit of habitat, you know, um, which I couldn't really do, well, I couldn't do on the boat, but I mean, people do. People do have green spaces that they can, can moor by and, you know, own and that sort of thing. There's lots of different ways of doing it. That's what I loved about the canals. There's so many people there for lots of different reasons, having different kinds of lives. You know, lots of people living as we were there because it's affordable, or it was. It was an affordable way for us to have a lifestyle we wanted. And then there's people making a statement about living off-grid and living privately and being among nature. And then all sorts of people who just want to enjoy the history of the waterways. Or, you know, it's just, there's no one identity. Did you ever fall in? Yeah, all the time, about once a month. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And one time I was on my own and I fell in. I imagine I looked a bit like one of those sort of mythical selkie creatures from, you know, northern mythology. I was kind of covered in slime and I just kind of poked my head up from the side of the canal with my hands on the side of the towpath and asked two men to lift me out. So there's a swing bridge here. Yes, yeah, so there's quite a lot of these. This one's locked open, but there's lots of these because the canal was actually a defence during the war. So they had lots of swing bridges that they could then make sure couldn't be swung, basically. To keep, to keep so, the enemy yeah, out. to keep yeah. the enemy out. Yeah. Would you like to sing on the bridge? Let's sing on the bridge. Oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds brilliant. good. <laughs> <laughs> Red bricks and mortar are waiting for me. Put to grass in the bright gorse. Spray and white horses are waiting for me. Turn your hand to the tiller. Time the old river ran into the sea. Sunset forces the day down. Spray and white horses are waiting for me. Still the drone of the tiller. Trailing its river tone under your hand Set the brass to the wet grass Out of the water and onto the land Turn your hand to the tiller Time the old river ran into the sea Sunset forces the day down Spraying white horses are waiting for me Spraying white horses are waiting for me. 
horses the day down Spraying white horses are waiting for me fantastic you've uh, you've attracted an audience of cyclists oh gosh <laughs> <laughs> I thought something was happening <laughs> does it feel good to sing it here by the canal yeah I literally wrote it here like it was right here. here maybe not on this bridge but on a, one of the bridges or yeah. one of the moorings yeah so it's I, come honestly, home after all those yeah years. and I haven't sung that I've never sung it with guitar and I haven't sung it for ages we recorded it on an album called I think it's on Twice Reflected Sun me and James my other half um, but yeah I've Re- rediscovered it and all the little words and quirks and I remember exactly the you know the, the picture in my head that made me write those bits of of words haven't thought of that for a really long time does that come to you sometimes an image for a song like a, a visual image yes exactly so in that one it's set the brass to the wet grass is about taking your tiller um, off the back of your boat when you've found your mooring lift up your little brass tiller pin and pull the tiller off and actually the crucial thing is maybe not to throw it onto the wet grass and then go on with your day because actually sometimes then I have been known to set off on my next journey take up the rope start the engine and I haven't got the tiller pin on <laughs> it's still on the grass <laughs> still on the grass yeah so that's not that's not great we all we all kind of have those fail moments really fortunately you're not going very fast at that point so you can usually bring it back oh i'm so happy to be talking to somebody who says brass and grass and path you know because you're yeah. a northerner well I'm, a, I'm an adopted northerner i don't know how you live i in talk. sheffield which I is do where live i was in born yeah. that's right i heard that yeah, yeah well when so, i left the canal i went to sheffield yeah. so yeah when i'm in london and i say brass band or even when i say podcast yes they they take the piss out of me do they how dare they well i listen in order to sing that song today i had to go and this is a bit sad but i had to go and listen to my album and learn it off it because i hadn't sung it for so long um but on the album i sing set the brass to the wet grass so i must have been a southerner that day i think there's a real chameleon thing that people who travel have and also i think singers sometimes do as well you sort of absorb ways of um of talking so yeah brass today why not brass that's the right one let's walk on great so the, the, obviously the towpath is an amenity for people, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you see people cycling and yep, cycling, walking. walking. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, tourism became really it for, for the waterways, I suppose. Um, and, and, you know, living on it too. Yeah. Um, so let me, let me ask you a little bit about your history, because... You could hardly avoid being a folk musician, could you? You were born into it. <laughs> and you make it sound like something that should be avoided, you know, if you can help it. But, I mean, your dad was a Northumberland pipe player. Yeah. And your mum was Sandra Kerr, who we know from her folk music and her bagpuss work yeah, and yeah, all of that. Of course, yeah. um, so was, was music there right from your birth? Yeah, it really was. It was our... I don't know, it's just our culture, really. It's what we did... And it's what um, those, you know, it's what my parents' friends did as their social being together. So it wasn't, I think the surprising thing is going into it professionally. And even that isn't that surprising. But the completely unsurprising thing is that it's going to be part of your life. It is. It was always going to be part of my life. I so still what was think, it like at home then? Were, were people coming around the whole time having yeah, sessions? Yeah, lots, lots of sessions and a lot of stuff. So I lived for a long time between London where I was born and Northumberland where my dad was from Um, so I got lots of music in both of those settings in London I got actually a lot of Irish music really great and watched some great Irish fiddlers and singers pipers and then of course Northumberland had this incredible pocket of you know real 
tradition and um, well, it's interesting because we went to players. do the unthanks up there yeah. and they said somebody said to us that they didn't need a folk revival in Northumberland because yeah. it had already been there that is and it stayed of, there that is the narrative that it was it was continuous and I think there's lots of reasons for that and it's lots of economic and historic reasons and um, musicological reasons like the, the, the quality I don't mean how good I mean just the type of music it is um, there were certain things I think that kept it alive but when I was a young player of course there were still players like Will Taylor um, Joe Hutton Will Atkinson the shepherd musicians and I learned a massive amount from them and that's you know that's straight from real working people who were well yeah that's playing. right yeah. yeah it was the real thing it was what it was what you did you went to barn dances and you went to your village hall and your village hall might have Will Taylor playing in it who was amazing or it might have Ali Bain playing in it who was amazing you know you had visiting Scottish fiddler, yeah, yeah, had yeah. Vis- a lot of visiting Scots and Irish musicians um so it was it was completely normalized and i think it was i learned in that time that was before there were sort of folk workshops now there's that definitely that culture what is my one of my jobs you get to sit in a workshop and have someone talk about what they do and you watch them and often think of that and how it relates to what i saw which was sitting on the floor in front of players but in in concerts but watching and watching and watching and then going home and trying it and then playing in a session with them, you know, and trying to, to keep up. Well, then it's accessible. That was the, that, that's the joyful thing about it, is that they didn't mind you playing with them and, you know, they were happy to encourage somebody who was younger who was learning. Yeah, I mean, it's built into the tradition. It's legacy. It's what you do. You pass it on and it's even, you know, that's why the tunes and songs sound the way they do because they want to be, they want to survive. They've got a sort of Darwinist, haven't they? This sort of tenacious... Um, repetitive kind of mesmerising quality that helps you to keep them, to get them in your bones and, and know them. Was there ever any danger of rebellion? Did you ever think, oh, I want to get away from this and I do never really else? thought, well, again, I think if you... Oh, it's, it's tempting to say, oh, yeah, of course, you know, I want to be other things. But actually, I think that for me, it was a completely normal and balancing backdrop to whatever else might happen. So I might have done other things. As it happens, a lot of my... Parents' contemporaries were musicians, but they were um, naturalists as their as their jobs. So actually, being a nature warden, <laughs> being in conservation and playing music was they were really in, so you had a job as an, a nature warden. So my at the time, first didn't you? yeah, when I first left school, I um, worked as a, a conservation warden up in Northumberland. And um, what sort of place? Um, a place called Hawksley Nature Reserve which is fabulous, it's absolutely great. It's actually a, um, what would you say, it's a rewilding actually is what you'd say these days I think, a rewilding of a previous open cast mine site which they turned into, um, as I say, a nature reserve, a wetlands reserve. Um, So the idea of having a job that involved me spending a minimum of two hours a day looking out to see and counting birds. That's pretty, you know, <laughs> there's anything more, more cushy than... Bit, well, as cushy as being a folk singer. <laughs> <laughs> so were you instinctively also drawn to the natural world? Yeah, definitely. I always was. And, again, that sort of echoed... I haven't really answered your question about rebelling, but yet <laughs> no. I'm kind of bringing up reasons why you wouldn't, you know. So I think having the, all of those um, those interests echoed and spoken about in the music as well you know there's that strong thread of environment and natural world and um, what I'm trying to say is I don't think I would have 
stayed in love with folk music if I hadn't discovered it for myself as well as having it in my family. I once described folk music as a weird vase that you inherit. But the thing is, you have to like the vase, not to just give it away, don't you? Yeah. And I think I fell in love all over again with, in some way, with the big ballads, because they're full of love and death and darkness and the teenage me really liked all of that and 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 actually felt really validated by hearing that yeah um but also just that way that the environment is part of you so that yeah so you feel situated in a place and the music does that for me that the content of traditional and, and newer folk songs and that's what i try and do with my folk songs too is just to sort of situate them so that we know that we've got a relationship to the place where we are yeah yeah well that's what we're all about here yeah. i mean it, it does sound like a great cue for a song actually yeah um <laughs> yep. would you sing another song <clears throat> I'd about love the to. canal yeah sure right so you got the fiddle out now I've got the fiddle out by the canal is this a special <laughs> fiddle all my fiddles are special fiddles i've got two fiddles and a viola all made by the wonderful tim phillips who i've known almost since i started performing and um yeah he made this Right. So it's a new, a newish fiddle. Reasonably new. Well, not that new. I got it for my 30th birthday. So, yeah, new. Let's <laughs> yeah, say very new. new. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to sing for us right here by the canal on the towpath? So this is my, um, my farewell to this canal, actually, um, because as my kind of boat community started to sort of drift away um, onto the land, um, yeah, I wrote this, and then eventually that became our story as well. As I say, we moved off um, to enlarge our family and our surface area and we moved up to Sheffield and yeah this is a a song about this this stretch from about here just near Bradford-on-Avon through to Avon Cliff and through towards Bath which is where my little boy was born and we used to have a a family of jays along the canal who were really raucous and one of my favorite birds so they're in this song yeah it's called Queen of Waters Well away my lover way For we sailing home today On a boat called Memory Hey-oh-ho Hearts that long for the land Oh she's like some Persian queen With her opal robe serene In the lamplight shimmering Hey-oh-ho Hearts that long for the land On a blue jay morning Feathering thorny memories Hey-oh-ho Hearts have been too long away on a well-worn byway, travelling magpie gathering, farewell, Queen of Waters. Well, it's hard to roll in mirth when your feet don't touch the earth. Hungering, hey, oh, hearts that long for the land. Folly never foots the bill, and we all shall pay in full for a life of melody, hey, oh, hearts that long for the land. On a blue jay morning, feathering thorny memories, hey, oh, hearts have been too long away. On a well worn byway, travelling, magpie gathering, farewell, queen of well, I should have sowed my corn, but I danced until the dawn like a 
hearts are burning, hey oh ho, hearts that long for the land. Oh, there must be better ways for to keep their debts at bay. And the whiskey trickling, hey oh ho, hearts that long for the land. On a blue jay morning, feathery thorny memories, hey oh ho, hearts have been too long away. On a well worn byway, travelling red pie gathering. There's a mooring in the blue Where the girls are gathering Hey, oh, hearts that long for the land Oh, she's like some Persian queen And her like shall never be seen Only in our reverie Hey, oh, hearts that long for the land On a blue jay morning Feathering thorny memories Hey, oh, hearts have been too long away On a well-worn byway travelling High gathering, farewell, Queen of Waters. <laughs> with a whole posse of cyclists going past in the middle of it. <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> they got a taste of the music yeah. and then they, yeah. <laughs> they yeah, moved just on. A snippet, yeah. <laughs> it's wonderful the, the infectious rhythm mm. of, that, of that piece. I mean, when you're writing, are you conscious of writing in a traditional way? Are you conscious of the tradition behind you? Yeah, mostly in terms of structure. So for that one, it's written like um, a sort of AABB dance tune. So apart from the little gaps where I've put gaps in so I can breathe because I'm singing um, if you just treated it like a piece of music you could yeah you could dance to it you could do a, a shotish or a social dance to it so mm. often that will be my sort of the sort of fence posts for what I'm about to write it's like well what what kind of thing I think it's dancey so I'll go for that or sometimes I'll think well it's like a ballad you know I want something that a bit of it that moves the story on and then a bit of it that keeps it the same like the refrain so all of that is taken from the tradition the same as all the natural stuff it's like how can I talk about this maybe I want to talk about trees or gardens or birds um, so yeah all of that kind of comes from there and was there a nervousness about composing your own songs because you've been so steeped in the tradition before there really was exactly that and actually not just that but the fact that my heroes and heroines many of them are, are writers so, I mean my mum's a writer I love contemporary folk writing and I think the people I love I think are perfect at it so I felt like I was yeah I felt like I had the bar set pretty high but I've changed how I feel about that I teach songwriting now and I just think it's such a therapeutic and and or it should be and can be do you know what I mean and, and like you said before accessible everyone should write and I think that those lovely folk features you know I'm not saying folk music simple it isn't that's a misnomer really but it does facilitate that stuff so it gives you a voice or it gives you somewhere to sort of sow the seeds of what you want to say and I think that should be yeah should be something we all do actually. And, and when you're teaching songwriting how, how do you set mm. about that because uh, people have talked about it as a kind of mystical process know, and they conjure these things out of, the, think, out of the air and it just comes it from nowhere. it should be poetic it is poetry do you know what I mean it, it, there is something magical about it and there is something magical about music but that doesn't mean for me what I love about 
about folk is that it straddles that sort of this is magic this is poetry but it's also ours and we can have a go at it and it's that it's it's sort of earthy poetry that's in our in our hands if we want it so one thing I do with writers is to get them to do a free piece of their writing just writing about them whatever comes out and then we look at actually in that are there bits of structure are there bits of repetition and could you just pretend for a moment that it's a ballad from 200 years ago how would that tell your story or do your language so it's like using it for our yeah like a sort of communal thing it's ours and I wondered if there were things that you felt you needed to say Mm. that couldn't be said through traditional song and that that was another impetus for you writing yeah it's a really interesting time right now because people are wanting to have I mean for me it was I wanted to hear narratives that I could identify with and I think a lot of us well, I know a lot of us, you know, from lots of people, including the great, you know, Nick, Nick Jones, Martin Carthy, Peggy Seeger, Ray Fisher. These are people who, um, they reshaped ballads and traditional material anyway so that it made sense in their mouths. And then we, my generation, were encouraged to do that. So by the time we came to write our songs, I think we'd had this apprenticeship of adapting those songs. Like Emily Portman's a really good example of it. It's like, I feel like that ballad has lots in it, but there's some stuff that I want to say further. And feeling that you have the confidence to to bring it, either to bring it into the now or to extend that into other ways or to work out what the code was, you know, if that what we think of a song as being about one thing, actually what was the code and what else could it be? And so you kind of broaden it then, don't you? So yeah, that was definitely my my feeling. I felt like I wanted to have one foot in that world and one foot in something that was a bit more current. Let's walk on. Great. I want to learn about, a bit about how your career started, because I think you started out on tour with Eliza Carthy, didn't you? Well, I, I started doing thing? clubs with her. I was already doing... I had a lot of support. I think because I was in that Northumbrian scene, I moved there when I was 13, and I immediately got lots of, yes, yeah, support and encouragement from the sort of fledgling folk works area of things so Ros Rigby and Alistair Anderson and those you know the shepherds the kind of traditional part of that and Catherine Tickell there was a great culture to be in as a young musician so I ended up touring I went around Eastern Europe and I went around Europe with Alistair Anderson and I was playing dances what age were you um 13 13 right yeah, 13, and you were on 14. tour around Europe yeah. Well, that must be quite an experience, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, I was quite young. I don't I didn't feel young at the time, but that's quite young, isn't it? Yes. I think my mum was a bit sort of bit Okay, this is <laughs> this is happening. But, but what did you get okay. up to? Did you have any fun? No, we just worked and sang and tuned and worked. <laughs> it, was, it was lots of fun. It was really great. And I, I know that's a massive privilege to have been able to do that. It's a great apprenticeship as it's, well, isn't that's it? That's exactly what yeah. it is. That's exactly what it is. So then by the time me and Liza were playing together. It How was did sort you of meet? Like, How did you we met meet? at Sidmouth, I think. And I think we were about 14 then, actually. Maybe a little, little older. Um, and I say that there was lots of encouragement of young musicians, but really, me and Liza did feel like there weren't that many of us and we should probably hook up, you know. Yes. And kind of huddle kind together Kind of huddle together, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Another party of cyclists yep. here. They're just mustering, I think. <laughs> Somebody's in charge and giving them orders, I think. Oh, there's a boat coming through. So we're coming to a bridge now, are we? So this, is, goes over a this bridge. is Avoncliff and it's an aqueduct. Yes. 
so this I love this spot because the canal goes over the railway and also the road meets it so you've got three threads of transportation history all kind of clustered together like a ley line and I've always loved this spot so the boat comes across and then does a fairly sharp turn and carries on along the canal it's called the Hieronymus Bosch. Yeah, That's a fine name That's for a, a boat. Brilliant isn't it? name. Love it. <laughs> Basingstoke Canal, it says. Great. There's something wonderful about an aqueduct, isn't there? Because it seems like it's not supposed to happen. Yes, exactly. The water's supposed to go over things. I know. It's <laughs> lovely, isn't it? And it's a triumph of engineering, but when you see it, it's so graceful and beautiful as well. I love it. I want to get to nearer to the balustrade so we can see yep. what, the, what the view is yep. down here. It looks like there's a pub. Yep, so that's Always the a good thing on a canal, isn't yep. it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and there's a train going past over the other side. And there's the river. That's right, you've got the river too. So river, canal... Train. So the river goes underneath the yep. canal. And so does the railway. Amazing. And so, they, in a way, the railway and the waterway were in competition yeah, for the business right. of delivering goods. That's it. So you've basically got this really short-lived revolution in transport and then um, rail comes in and then road comes in and so it kind of all meets here. You can see the layers of it here. And there's a swan on the Avon, all serene as well. There is, very picturesque. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about Shakespeare later on. Yes, aren't we, so. we are. And Avon. Is the water going over a, a yeah, waterfall so or a, a weir? Yeah, there's a weir. We're sort of on the lip of the, um, the chalk here as well. So just east of here, you get into the chalk downs and being among Pusey and Devizes and, and um, Wiltshire, that, that bit of Wiltshire. And it's, I love the kind of chalkiness of it. It's sort of, it's lush, but it's kind of slightly harsh as well. It's really interesting topography there's a little walk down here where we go back along the river and back through Barton that park where the tithe barn was so we would get off the canal then and walk down to the river rather a nice view down the Avon there yeah. over the It's wonderful, pads. There's a, you can see the weir, the water's just going over yep. the weir here and the lilies are all strewn across the surface of the water. And the willows are in full glory, that's a huge willow tree doing there's its thing. There's a wagtail over there as well, yeah. Luke. Oh yeah, doing its wag, a yellow one, lovely. Such a glorious space. Oh and it's cool as well now, <laughs> isn't it? It's lovely. Yeah. But it seems to me that you've essentially been on the road since you were 13. Pretty <laughs> that, much. I've never had a, yeah, I mean, I've never had a proper job, so. And yeah, and we've combined that with, with having children as well, so. And that must be a real challenge, isn't it? Well, I actually really love the way that it makes you think creatively about what you do. So, for instance, yes, I have been on the road for a long time, but I don't go away for weeks on end. And I don't want to, and I can't, so. Um, I quite like the sort of me going and doing a few things, coming home. And then I also like what my mum would call wearing lots of different hats. I really like this sort of one project. I, I tend to have about five bands or collaborations or projects or my things a year. And then that sort of leaves room for exciting things that come along like um, a commission or something like the transports or the full English or, you know, something like that. You can say yes to because you've got just enough. Time. And I, I love all the different 
you know, the sort of brain stretch of what what am I singing today? <laughs> Who am I? What so you, am I? do you have to sort of when you're changing hats, do you have to consciously change hats, as it were, and, and change take, musical yeah, gear? I have to take a real deep breath and get rid of the songs that I had to sing last night and try and think about the ones. And I think it's because folk is so it's so ear based, isn't it? I very rarely have anything written down. I've just done a commission for the Shakespeare birthplace for Stratford Poetry Festival. It's the first time I've worked from any kind of script for ages because I was literally writing the songs last week. So I <laughs> learned them to some degree, but I had them there. But we, we kind of, well, I certainly have to completely sort of internalise the songs to perform them the way I want to. So yeah, it means I have to wrap my head around it. So you're sitting on this lovely bench, surrounded by the greenery here. What's the song you're going to sing from the Shakespeare Commission? So I'm going to sing Cinnabar. This was actually a song that I'd already had connected to sonnets. It's sort of loosely based on the idea of there's a sonnet, sonnet number 153, which is all about, well, it's partly about the consequences of our passion, really. It's, it's a love sonnet, but it's quite, it's quite dark. It's quite raunchy. It's all about heat. It's a song called Cinnabar. I'm just looking around to see if there's any ragwort around us, which is a plant I really love, but I can't see any bits of it. It's been quite minimised ragwort because it's really bad for cattle um, and people don't like it. But it's the home of this cinnabar moth the grub for the moth which is a really pretty caterpillar lives on ragwort so it's kind of seen its numbers go down so this is a song about about cinnabar and about ragwort being this crown of gold but it's also about the consequences of us really it's about climate it's about heat and i'm about to sing it in quite in big very hot heat. Day. <laughs> it's about how you it, uh, the refrain every time is oh, i've forgotten the cold and it's about how i think we forget adversity when we're wrapped in comfort and that's why it's so hard to remember to um kind of act uh, against our consequences so it's yeah it's about climate and it's about about weather and about love this is cinnabar Sun he fells the forest wall wearing a crown of gold And though I know he's terrible yet still I see he's beautiful I'll mourn you lowly cinnabar born in a crown of gold In my burnished lover's arms I have forgotten the cold Devours the heavens whole Wearing a veil of red And I embrace this other soul Should end days feel so wonderful I'll mourn you lowly cinnabar Born in a crown of gold In my burnished lover's bed I have forgotten the cold
rags and tattered strips, wearing its thirst for rain. The breeze is like my lover's lips, but will it lift your wings again? Alone and lowly cinnabar, born in a crown of gold, in my burnished lover's arms I have forgotten the cold. I'll mourn you, lowly cinnabar, born in a crown of That's wonderful. And there was some lovely bird song. Yeah, they were joining right there. in. Yeah, <laughs> love it. <laughs> so singing it in Shakespeare's birthplace mm. must have been a very special moment. Yeah, it's really. Um, if I'm. I think has that slight feeling that they don't belong somewhere sometimes, you know. And so I felt a bit, I'm quite conscious of finding again those those common grounds. And I think there's lots in Shakespeare that I identify with because the, the continuum is the same of talking about birds and nature and love and all that kind of thing. And I really felt like it was a nice statement about the sort of vernacular quality of art. It's like I'm creating songs and my name is attached to them for a while. And Shakespeare created stuff and his name is very attached to them. But then there's all these people and all this art with no names attached to them. And it all kind of swims together, really. So it was quite, um, yeah, it was quite a creative sort of watershed for me, really, to be invited into there to do that. Were you daunted by the, the prospect of working alongside the world's greatest known yeah. writer? No, I, I don't think, I, I don't know if no. I do daunted. No, I was just really bouncy. Just roll your bouncy. sleeves up and get in Yeah, there. I was really bouncy. Now, I think it's lovely because I think there's so many people working radically with Shakespeare, with that material. Like, for instance, there's one song I wrote that's about my children's school play and they put on Macbeth. Um, and this is a, a school in uh, inner city Sheffield fantastic, gender-blind, colour-blind, quite radical and beautiful staging of it for year six children, you know, absolutely brilliant. And it's that, it's that sort of thing that it's in our in our bones somehow and those kids will never forget the fact that for that moment in time they had Shakespeare and they were doing Shakespeare. So I think it's got that kind of lovely arts for everyone kind of public ownership feeling as well, even though it's got his, you know, hallowed name. I feel like it's just, it's there for me to kind of work with too. You did an event at King's Place in London where you brought together writers and folk musicians. That's right, like, nature writers. Yeah, I came yeah. to see you with uh, Helen MacDonald. Yeah. H is for Hawk That's fame. right, because yeah. I wrote a song called um, See Her Fly Home and a lot of stuff kind of came out of that. I was very inspired by that book. H is for Hawk was hugely why influential. Did it, why did it strike you so much? I think he Hearing a life story with lots of childhood and lots of family in it, but that's got that parallel presence of nature. It was different to my experience, but I really chimed with it. And a similar thing with the very intense reaction I had to reading Rob Cowan's Common Ground, because that was the other show I did as part of that curation, was that, I mean, I wrote an entire album called Instar, named after and definitely coloured in by what I'd read in Rob Cowan's book. And that collaboration with the writers, mm. um, was it inspiring for you? I and mean, did you sort of feed off their creativity? Yeah, definitely. And it was lovely hearing their, um, their encouragement, really, and their, their acknowledgement that folk song and writing in my idiom 
was something that could validly be put alongside their work. Do you know what I mean? Because I think there's there's sometimes a little bit of a seed in a lot of us as folkies that we're kind of the poor cousin or that we have to stand up for it. And actually, I think in the real world out there creatively, there are far fewer boundaries than we imagine there being between genre and between disciplines. So nature writing, writing folk songs, it's obvious. I mean, I, I, I knew that Martin Simpson and Rob Cowan had already had quite a fruitful sort of to and fro and inspired each other a lot. A lot of kind of commonalities there. And we've got the beautiful um, Lost Words musical collaboration with that happening. So it's a very strong, I think, aware narrative now. But for me, yeah, I just think it's really important for us to remember how important our music is, actually. That, and people... People like it. People like the stories. You know, we're not just sort of, I don't think we should do ourselves down. I think we no. should be standing there going, we, we carry these stories and they're, they're worth it and people like it and people want to tell it. And what does the natural world mean to you? Why is the natural world important to you? Why does it feel, I don't know, restorative or significant to it you? It is restorative, isn't it? I wonder if it's because I was born in a city, but I always had the privilege of access to the countryside, and I knew conservationists, and I knew activists who actually, you know, when I was a child, it was it was anti-war movements and peace and anti-nuclear movements that were really our framework for, for everything, for music, for activism, for life, for your ethics. And then I think now with Extinction Rebellion and with talk about climate change, you're seeing a lot of the same kind of activity and the same desperation for for action and for dialogue. And there's a musical part to that. It might be a little bit utopian, I think, what I think, but I do feel that there's a potential commonality among all of us to appreciate the beauty, even if it's tiny beauties like little patches of green in a city. If we can really look inside ourselves and go, look, we love that and we might lose that, then I think it's a really potentially fruitful way of getting people to to connect. I don't know. That's that's my little way. I mean, I'm not, I'm not really a singer where you're going to start a revolution after you've heard me. But, you know, you might just look out for bees a bit more carefully. <laughs> It sounds like the cue for another of your songs, um, a, a song that you've chosen because it's about the natural world. Tell us about that. This is another um, another bug song. This is a bee song, and I thought I'd try it. It's Dark Honey, um, which I wrote just a couple of days before going off on tour with Martin Simpson and Andy Cutting when we first started touring together. And then we made an album called Murmurs, which unintentionally ended up with this really strong environmental thread through it, this natural world kind of thread and dark honey I was thinking about being here by the canal and how my life's changed really and I talked about gardens and I now have a garden which I think is just a miracle but I had a swarm of bees in my garden and that's why I wrote this song and that was quite something it was when the kids were tiny and suddenly this yeah this piece of nature came and sat on my fence post in fact they were only there for a few hours but they started to make their hive they must have liked it as a spot. And for years after, there were still the little shapes, you know, of the kind of the beginnings, honeycomb the honeycomb shapes of the of the hive being begun. So anyway, it was just, yeah, it was just a real big moment for seeing that sort of close quarters natural phenomenon, really. So I wrote this song, which is about, it's about our impact in that it's about how um, what we do or what the environment is like colours the honey that the bees make. So this is dark honey. One summer's evening And the kids ran free All the bees were swarming in this cemetery And they sobbed that sweetness Their natures cried 
from the flowers that grew on every grave and you tell your children life finds a way you can reap dark honey from the dying day and weave a little sweetness to soothe our stings and the slightest suffering winter brings some other children some distant home they fear the humming of a different drone some sugar's flowing from every pore some hunger's growing on the spoils of war and you tell your children life finds a way you can reap dark honey from the dying day and weave a little sweetness to soothe our stings and the slightest suffering winter brings on the bank of england some city bees she built a hive of slavery and her sweet survival in the midst of man is to make dark honey from a cola can and you tell your children life finds a way you can reap dark honey from the dying day and weave a little sweetness to soothe our stings and the slightest suffering winter brings When man has driven the drone of bees from all the fields and cemeteries, he'll miss that richness his nature craves, for no flowers will grow upon our graves. And you tell your children, life finds a way, you can reap dark honey from the dying day, and weave a little sweetness to soothe our sting. And the slightest suffering winter brings Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, that was wonderful. <laughs> and it's been such a joy to spend time with you here Thanks. in these glorious surroundings by the mm. canal and the river. Mm. And thank you for sharing your music with Thanks. us. Thanks, it's been a lovely morning. Thank you so much. Well, if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe or follow us to make sure you get all our episodes just as soon as they're launched. And please rate and review us so others can find us. If you'd like to make a small monthly donation to help us produce more wonderful episodes, you can become a patron by going to folkonfoot.com and clicking on Support Us. To keep up with the latest information, you can sign up for our newsletter at folkonfoot.com or follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram with the handle at folkonfoot. We hope you enjoy listening to Folk on Foot just as much as we love making it. <laughs>